0: Welcome to America Meditating Radio. That was the amazing Tina Turner. I thought that song was appropriate for the times that we're in. It's Sarvesham Swastir Bhavatu. It really is about a peace-moving song. It's a peace mantra. It is to invite us into our place of peace and empowerment. It is about remembering that our original religion of the nature is peace. It's about telling us that peace isn't passive. It is something that gives you enough current, enough energy, and enough power to transform peacelessness back into its original nature. Look at the environment right now. Less cars, less planes, less people. The birds are singing. The earth feels moist. It feels like it just wants to hug you right now. The ozone layer is getting better. The pollution is reducing. And my favorite part of all of this, crime rate has dropped drastically, but not in a particular area, a particular area where domestic violence with kids or mothers or wives or even husbands, that's still taking place in homes because so many people now are locked inside of their homes. There is room for even more violence to escalate because something in the soul is unfulfilled, Or something in the soul has been violated. Or maybe the oppressor is the one that was abused and knows nothing more but to abuse. Or maybe it's just the fear and the tension of a man who feels inadequate, questioning how he was going to take care of his family. And his own innate sense of feeling his manlyhood comes out in the form of violence. It's a profound time. We've had times... You know, before where we've heard about gun violence in schools, gun violence here, gun violence there, But now it could still be happening in some homes. And my guest today is someone who I've admired and appreciated for many years, where we first met at the Shift California 2020 conference years ago, looking at all the areas of our society that we can bring hope and wisdom to. And one of her errors was really not only to talk on behalf of the indigenous folks of our country, but also to speak about the power of women and the power of our voice. Reverend Elaine F. Whitefeather is a visionary activist who is passionate and fiercely dedicated to the empowerment of every victim of trauma and abuse. She's recognized authority in the field of domestic and family violence and has spent her last 38 years in human service work 36 of those years in the field of domestic violence now reverend white feather has created and resurrected over 40 domestic violence programs both nationally and internationally persistent bold courageous her voice of peace is made manifest by relentlessly teaching sharing and educating inspired by the sacred way that she believes life should be She wants us all to work together for the best of the human tribe. She's also the executive director for A Community for Peace and the CEO of the Foundation of Peaceful Communities, providing culturally responsive organization and program developments for nonprofits with domestic violence and intimate partner violence. To sum it up, Reverend Elaine Whitefeather is a person who's doing a lot of good in the world and having a significant impact in the lives of many, especially during such times. Let me welcome my sweet sister. Welcome, my dear one. How are you?
1: I'm very well. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be with you this morning.
0: Why do you sound so peaceful? Are you just waking up?
1: <laughs> no <laughs>
0: Because you're Would on you the West Coast down
1: and not be a speeding <laughs> bullet? <laughs> yes, I am on the West Coast And it is a little early for us But I'm not just waking up
2: <laughs> I got you I My got work you.
1: requires That's me to get up pretty early
0: <laughs> I
1: bet you must be like on
0: call 24-7 Like surgeons or doctors Because you can get a call in a minute of a woman who's in distress
1: Correct We are still the frontline responders as I believe most domestic violence programs are in the United States. Here in California, we are still open 24 7. Our numbers are out of the roof. While we may not have complete access to the public, we always are receiving the walk ins for women who can escape in that moment to get to us. Okay. So everything's happening now with my entire staff 24 7 by phone or by internet.
0: Tell us a little bit about the community center and what it actually okay. does.
1: Okay. A Community for Peace is a state and county certified domestic violence and sexual assault crisis center. The unique work that we do is because we are focused on the unserved and marginalized populations of Sacramento County and the northern part of California. That population are black, brown, immigrant, undocumented, and LGBTQ, the bottom of the totem pole, as I say, of our culture, of our society, of our America. And we provide these services 24-7 to folks who already have very little resources. We provide three, two different accesses to one a hotline, crisis line, and one is a tapestry app that can be downloaded on Android. That's access for anyone actually in the United States um, who wanted information from the LGBTQ community. Our programs are culturally specific, meaning that I develop programs with folks who look like the population we serve. So all of us are credible messengers, meaning that we are survivors ourselves. So there's something about that that makes you do that little extra thing because you understand not only the oppression, but you understand what it's like to be trapped inside yourself and then within the cycle of abuse and violence and even how difficult it is to think about getting out and then staying out. The community was
0: started in around 2008. Why did Mm -hmm. you start the community? Were you going through a particular relationship where there was domestic violence, or did you witness that and you just felt like, I can't sit back and do nothing?
1: Well, I grew up in family violence, as many of us did before it was even against the law. So I've been part of the domestic violence movement since 1979. And that's when I recognized, oh my gosh, that's what my childhood was. It made sense about all kinds of things. But the unique part of the journey for me is that I'm a multiracial person whose mother was immigrant, whose father was a black Indian, and I witnessed lots of the oppression of America. So all of those things sort of shape your lens of how you're going to see things. Being part of that movement, I helped to criminalize the issue. So I've been part of making it crime in America, making it legislation and policy and funding for this issue for a very long time. So I've been a consultant also for a long time, and I was hired by a local city here to come and resurrect their nonprofit, which was called the Domestic Violence Intervention Center, and try to help out. Well, by 2008, I needed to just take that whole thing and redo it. And I said, you cannot go forward the way you want to. You really have to understand this issue from the inside out. So with a lot of support from the city of Citrus Heights and police, I took it over and then founded it, developed it. Then in 2011, we became county and state certified. Now, as a two-spirited woman, I was also... (laughs) Which I know you are. (laughs) I just always want to be on the
0: right side of you. You know, I just don't want to ever get on the wrong side of you, FYI oh no if anyone is on the right side of you they are completely protected but if they're doing some naughty Um, you're going to show them up i know that law enforcement officials and domestic violence shelters worldwide (laughs) are seeing a dramatic increase in calls for help as people shelter in place to avoid the covid 19 exposure so staying at home can be a really horrible situation for domestic violence victims when we talk about the violence could you explain to us what must be happening in this particular period where men and women are locked down and many times in cramped apartment buildings or small Mm -hmm. homes? how are you handling those calls how are you taking care of these men and women and children
1: all right first let me tell you how it's what's happening first if we understand that domestic violence is about power and control and one person using anything and anyone to have power and control over one other person. Now, that dynamic right there isn't always as clean and as clear as you would like it to be. So it would be nice for us to see this is a clear perpetrator and this is a clear victim. But these are very enmeshed relationships. So one feeds the other. But the dynamic of power and control and coercion is the thing we want to keep as a backdrop. So right now we're actually getting tremendous number of calls about women who are being threatened with the virus. So their partners are going out unprotected among whomever, or at least they're threatening to do so, and bring it back to the wife and the child or sending her out unprotected. They are trapped without food, withholding money, medical attention. So these folks are trying to escape They'll come down into our center and just grab, and oh, we have bags ready to go, all sanitized. And They'll just escape for five or 10 minutes. We'll give them a bag of food so their children can eat. These are the kinds of calls we're helping them through. But here's another part that we're not thinking about. Many of our clients are mandated to get parenting. If they don't fulfill their parenting classes, they could lose their children. The systems have not changed to adapt to this pandemic. So these women are still being held responsible. So we are continuing to do parenting classes by phone, counseling classes by phone, all of the things to prevent them from having an additional barrier to keeping their children. The courts are closed, except for emergency restraining orders. We are open to help them through that. We can't get them to court, but we can sit with them to a court hearing over the phone. All of these kinds of things are the things we are doing, uh, you know, and going to where the people are. We are right now raising money to open a second shelter, which we just secured for any woman or uh, who needs a shelter who is positive for corona. So it's okay, empty well, right me- now. I said, oh, get it settled. set up. Somebody's going to need to get there.
0: Thank you for that. So needed because something that you said in a conversation that we've had over the phone is that many of the abusers may even use COVID-19 to manipulate their partner's emotions or feelings that emotional health and safety are extremely important now. Can you talk a little bit about this? I mean, how would I use COVID-19 to manipulate my spouse or my partner?
1: Well, first of all, One of the things you remember that I'm already created an environment where whatever I say has so much credibility because I have already reinforced it. My behavior has already taught you that I will do what I say I threaten to do. So the victim is already living in that place and understands the sole perspective of that abuser. So I am the abuser and I say, I'm just going to go out and hang out with so-and-so or they're going to go watch a football game or they're going to normalize this whole thing, not do any self-protection, whatever, and then just come on back and say, I'm going to go do this where he knows that should not be or where he may be exposed and then bring it back. And that's what he's threatening to do. On the other side, he may send her out and say, no, you don't need a mask. No, you don't need those things. And withhold all the kinds of things that she could do to prevent or They're using the children.
0: Can you help my naivety, please? What makes someone (laughs) think like that? You know, are they thinking like that because they either witnessed abuse, they were abused, or are they just mentally and socially not well?
1: All of the above, the first two, absolutely, leading to the third. So when you are raised not like a human being but a thing, when you are objectified early on, you lose your feeling, your empathy, your connection to human suffering. You have to shut it down. As a child survivor of abuse, as a teen survivor of assault, one of the coping ways for pain and suffering is not to feel it. Now, those of us have two options as human beings. Some people will choose that shut down feeling and turn it all inward at the self, pretty much what I would do. So I'm looking at what did I do wrong? What do I need to change? That I move inward,
0: Why do Outward? we do that? What is that? Is that our protection? Is that our fear? Is that our sense of low self-esteem? Or is that maybe just the way that some of us will choose how to heal or how to overcome challenges?
1: It's our nature. Some of us, by nature, by culture, By our heritage, we may go inward. You know, my mother is Japanese. I'm 50% Asian. I tend to go inward first before I become explosive outward. I know it's hard for people to realize that. When things are deeply suffering for me, I will go inward. I tend not to do the blaming thing. I tend to do the self-blaming thing. But
0: sometimes I find myself just getting to a place where I think I'm the problem or... I need to change. I need to fix myself. And I think in one way, we do have to do that, don't we, Elaine? We To become so powerful that we're not affected by people's stuff.
1: Correct, but you first have to get out of being oppressed. You have to get out of the danger of being with an oppressor before that can happen. So even in my relationships of intimate partner violence, First, you have to even recognize you're even in one. And if you were raised in it, how would you recognize what's normal to you? This is what you think love is. And so if I model after the offender, which most children will already make behavioral choice before they're three, their brain is already tracked that way. So you can see with our children that we take care of already ones who will move toward being a victim and ones who will move toward being an offender. It's literally a neurological brain thing that happens with trauma. So we are trauma-informed, meaning we use brain-based science in the way we help our folks deal with trauma. But you're correct. It is an inward, personal, spiritual journey. I know for myself over these 68 years of my life, and 40 of them have been in a very conscious way of self-reflection and trying to learn from every particular thing I go through but that's my nature to do it and now that's how I try to guide everything and even create our organization that is self-reflective and self-aware and self-evolved so that we don't become a stagnant organization we are all credible messengers who also need to continue to heal
0: I love that community for peace because you also take care of the inner work that is needed and as much as you need bread you know food shelter, clothing, and safety, also the question for me sometimes arises, what are my thought patterns that's also attracting, and I need to change that, which requires a lot of courage and a lot of faith, a lot of commitment, but it also requires community. So when we look at the trans community or the LGBTQ community, how do you feel their fear mm-hmm. of COVID-19?
1: Well, in our organization, our LGBTQ community program is called tapestry and we are on the line every single one of us we are not working from home we are right here i'm about to go to walk down there this morning and so we are providing all the intakes that walk in the door we are continuing business as usual gathering the food collecting the donations getting them to the people making sure that our tapestry guest house is open we just brought in our elder who would be our caretaker for any LGBTQ coming in, so we have only one in California safe refuge for our LGBTQ community. They're doing YouTube's. They're putting together educational things next week. We want to be able to launch our podcast. We understand that we are breaking the silence in our community. So, as a team, it has been liberating. I think, and I feel a great responsibility as an elder in the community. Uh, these young people have helped me understand the significance of what I created for them two or three years ago, though it was coming out of my own suffering. I didn't really realize to the depth of what these young folks in our community really needed. I'm proud, and they're so brave and courageous. In fact, we just got through doing a whole class for Sac State, counseling class. You know, the trans community here, I have three on my staff. Carla was sharing the story for her intimate partner violence, for example. It touched me very deeply. Her first words were to the class, I had to give up everything to be me. So being abused by a partner and being asked to walk away from that partner was not something that was an option in my mind. And then he used it against me, and I was hooked and arrested. The sheriffs further humiliated me and made a female sheriff, undress me and make me spread my legs to prove I was a woman. This is a 50-year-old trans woman, the most beautiful woman I can imagine to be. I'll tell you, she is the very one person I met three years ago that made me want to do this. And I said, I don't know what it is about you that makes me feel your suffering so deep, that is so far beyond mine, that I got to do this for you. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this. And not like the whole LGBT community opened their arms up. It's been quite the other opposite. But the seven or eight of us on my team have been liberated by the fact that we have created a healthy team, a family that loves each other deeply, and we can be intimate. These are the people who helped me get free from intimate partner violence over the past two or three years. I mean, this very program I created ended up saving me. I understand the system barriers. I understand the internal barriers. And this is the population, sister, that has the highest rate of domestic violence among all of us at 61%.
0: I was so surprised, Elaine, to hear those statistics because coming from such a situation where the odds are so against you, you would think that you look for a way to somehow work through this, and I think, you know, our conversation is so rich. Hey, everyone, if you're listening to this conversation, I'm having a profound talk to the Reverend Elaine M. Whitefeather, who is the Executive Director of a Community for Peace, and she's doing tremendous work with empowering victims who are being abused, especially during the COVID time and pre-COVID. That's been her work for the last 40 years. So tell me something, Reverend Elaine. What advice would you offer someone who may be in this type of life-threatening situation during this period?
1: Find a way to reach out to any domestic violence program. If you are in the LGBT community and you have Android, download our Tapestry app. We can talk to you anywhere in the country. We can talk to you on our crisis line as well. You don't have to be just in California for us to help you. Second thing, find the safest place in your house. Stay away from the kitchen. Move all obvious weapons away. Trust your intuition. Do whatever you have to to minimize any escalation. I know it's going to feel like you're going to have to be quiet and you're going to have to close your mouth and you're not going to want to. But remember, this is about the safety of you and your children. And so this is a hard choice we have to make as survivors. But choose life and hold on where there are advocates in all 50 states. And I know if you are federally funded like we are, we are still operating. And we have a national hotline.
0: Let me jump in here, Elaine. Yes, everyone, if you've heard what Reverend Elaine Whitefeather just offered you, there is a National Domestic Violence Hotline. And take down this number and carve it in your heart. 1-800-799-7233. Again, 1-800-799-7233. And don't forget, there's an app called Tapestry.
1: T-A-P-E-S-T-R-Y.
0: That's being offered by a community for peace that you can... Download on your phone and touch base with, but also be very careful because if your partner gets your phone and he's looking at what apps you've got, you know, you don't want him to see that. So find a way to somehow make that in the far, far back of the phone, right? I think that will be an important thing to do.
1: It does have an escape thing on that app. So you can just oh, push good. a button and it will just look like you're playing solitaire.
0: Oh, beautiful. Oh, my God. You guys thought mm-hmm. of everything. Thank you. Dear Reverend Elaine Whitefeather, How do you take care of you?
1: I have an incredible relationship with my Creator, and that is the relationship that I have leaned upon for many, many, many years. My walk in life is that first, and that grace, that healing grace and loving kindness that is that intimate relationship I have with my Creator, Mother, Father, God, is what feeds me every morning every noon, every night, every moment. And so it helps me see myself as sacred. And from those sacred eyes, I see life that way. And I know my responsibility is to use that which the Creator gave me to end the heritage of suffering. That's it. I'm fed by the Creator so that I can feed.
0: That's beautiful, hon. That's really great. So in terms of... Yourself. Let's just say when you're going through a particular period, which is like a COVID-19, which means there's fear, there's the uncertainty, we don't know what's going to happen next. Let's say when you've been in a particular situation, whether it's with the community center, whether it's with one of the members in the community centers, whether it's your own personal life, and you felt like you just didn't know what to do. There was a disempowerment. How did you travel through that period to get out of it?
1: Well, I always refer to that period that I have gone through many times in my life. I think of this COVID-19 as the dark night of one's soul. So knowing that that is the journey, and you do indeed, and in these last couple of years for sure have reached moments where the darkness and the despair seemed so overwhelming beyond even the fear. It was into despair, and to be able to pray even, praying to pray more deeply, praying to believe more, praying to hold on. I can tell you that in those moments, they were little tiny, I want to call them, little points of light that came from the most, I don't know, unusual or people you wouldn't think or situations you wouldn't think. Sometimes it was you sending a YouTube thing right in a moment when I think oh, I need to hear something, and then here it would come. Or I would pray for some message, and someone would send a text from the community and just say, thinking about your grandmother. Or some tiny thing. I didn't dismiss those as little drop of grace from God to say, hold on. And those are little points of light, like little filaments, you know, that I would hold on to desperately, even if I don't even know where they came from, because they were... They were the ways I climbed out, you know, yeah. and at a certain point I surrendered it. This is some point I, I always come back to thy will. Thy will be done. I can't figure it out and thy will be done. There is always some little point of light that I crawl out of the deepest, darkest cave every single time. And that's why I tell people, don't give up hope. Never, ever, ever give up hope. Faith will carry you and love gets you out. So grab hold of those little tiny drops of love, however they come. Don't worry about who sends them. Don't give up hope. Hold on to faith and grab hold of drops of love. It will help you transcend every time.
0: Beautiful way to end our story. I want folks to help to support Communities for Peace. I know you're collecting donations for food and other miscellaneous things that are needed for some of the victims of violence. Where can our listeners learn about Community for Peace? And if they would like to support a community for peace, how can they go about that?
1: Well, the best thing to do is to contact us through our website, communityforpeace.org. You'll find everything you need to know about us. I just want to make one correction for you, though. I was the former executive director. I just recently transferred that job over to Laura Clegg. So she is our executive director. I'm the program director now. It sounds similar, but not really. She gets to have all the hard stuff to do. But if they go to our website, I think it's all set up for the donation page. This is the big day of giving coming. We are raising money to fund that one shelter for our COVID survivors, should they call. We're about to let that out to our public health folks so they know we have a shelter designated for that. Through our website is the best thing. Our tapestry app, again, for Android. It will be out on Apple soon. Folks can reach us that way, too. And one more thing, if you are a neighbor and you hear this, please don't ignore it. Call. Please call 911. Do not ignore what you hear next door.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Your love, your fire, and keep yourself safe, too. And I know you've got a strong connection to Source. And in addition to that, just we want you around for a much longer time. So keep taking care of your beautiful spirit and your fierce will.
1: Thank you so much. You do the same. You are a great blessing to us all. And I think today, more than ever, all of us who are light workers, all of us who are instruments of creator's love is needed. We must shine it very, very brightly. And I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your kindness and your love. It makes us all stronger.
0: Thank you so much, Reverend Elaine Whitefeather. All the very best. Take care.
1: And you too. Bye-bye.
0: Wonderful conversation, Reverend Elaine M. White, for the former Executive Director for Community of Peace. And if you'd want some more information, just go to communityforpeace.org and get involved uh, as much as you can. We at America Meditating Radio will be making a donation today because we want to help as many people as we can because that's just the way we are. I always believe whether it's $1, $5, $10 every month, you're going to help someone. You know, whenever I waste money, which is very rare, but, you know, even if somebody wastes $5, I multiply that 70 times. I look at it like with Indian rupees. So I would have 350 rupees that I could help feed a child for an entire month. That's how I think. So even during this crisis where you're seeing that you're locked down, your Rolls Royce doesn't have any value Your Rolex doesn't have the value because you're in and nobody's even seen it. Do you even care? Do you even care? So just take a moment and breathe and pause. Hold back for a little bit and think about what can you get involved with now that can make a beautiful difference. Doing COVID is no joke, but then after COVID will even be a bigger no joke because whatever's going to come out of this will be quite interesting. Yes, there'll be a lot of awakened folks, definitely. I'm sure if you're listening to this show, you're one of them. But at the same token, you're going to have to really, really be strong. These are the times that are calling us to really connect to Source and to really come from a place of power. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. We are here to love each other the same. Please remember to pause every hour and hour to practice your traffic control and take a moment to breathe and send peace to the universe. Here is Sarah McLoggin, Instruments of Peace. Take care, everyone. Where
2: there is hatred, let me so